Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. If I say mental health, what is your immediate reaction? Did you brace yourself a little bit? It's too true that we still have work to do, shifting stigma to strength in conversations about mental health. Something tells me if I were to have said high cholesterol, you wouldn't even have noticed. So mental health and wellness deserves to be as easily accepted and recognized. And I know that together we can do better, which is what we're doing here today. Yes, and on today's episode, we're bringing you the head CEO of one of the top furniture companies in the world, who is working every day to embrace mental health, both personally and professionally. JB Bussey, CEO of Loth, as well as one of MA's leading interior designers, Lisa Oder, out of our Cincinnati office, who has a passion for inclusive spaces that support mental well-being. One of my all-time favorite authors, researchers, and incredible human beings, Brene Brown, once said, if we share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. So what does that mean? To me, it goes back to one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given, to be curious and not critical. It's easy to look at the world in this lens of expectations based on your experiences, but it's much more fulfilling and meaningful to try and understand it from all points of view. Just as a random example, if someone were to run out of a conference room, it's really easy to be like, that was so rude. And that's almost our default. But instead, if you chose to be curious, you have no idea that person could have been struggling with an anxiety attack. Something could have just happened to them personally. And they literally had to escape that room in a moment of panic. And we don't know these things if we choose to be critical. But if we just change our mindset to this place of curiosity instead, it makes us a better person. So these are the perspectives we gain when we choose to be curious, not critical. And in doing so, we shape the understanding of the world around us. As we embrace this topic with solutions and strategies to support your own emotional well-being, both at home and at work, as well as those around you, I encourage you all to remain curious, not critical, both while listening and in the conversations that we hope follow beyond this podcast episode. And with that, we're going to welcome our guests. So let's start by introducing our one and only JB. JB serves as the chairman and chief executive office at Loth Holdings, a Cincinnati-based steel case dealer and full-service office design company founded in 1891 with locations in Columbus and customers nationwide. As, and we also have Lisa Oder with us, one of MA's leading interior designers out of our Cincinnati office. With experience managing projects from concept through construction, Lisa's primary focus is her clients and helping them mold their vision and goals into beautiful and functional spaces in which they can be proud. Lisa is dedicated to lifelong learning, continuing to keep up to date on the newest trends and products in the market and using research to inform her design decisions. So. Welcome, JB, and welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Brian. guys. Glad to be here. Oh, we're happy to have Definitely. you. This is going to be such an awesome conversation. I'm so energized, and you two are the perfect people to have it with. So now that we know you a little bit more professionally, we want to let our listeners in on you personally. You guys up for it? Sure. Sounds great. JB? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> JB, I'm starting with you. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you'd do? Well, if you know me very well, I would go play golf. Love it. I, and COVID, I played a lot of golf. That was, uh, you talk about, you know, getting out from yeah. all the Zoom calls. Absolutely. And uh, fortunately, the weather was pretty good here. Yeah. Did you help your handicap a little bit or a lot of it? Uh, you enjoyed it's it. stable. <laughs> My handicap got to the point where I wouldn't let anybody give me any putts. How about that? Oh, nice. Wow. Oh, okay, okay. So what is your go-to coping method or mechanism when you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious? 
Well, you know, um, it's weird. Uh, uh, several years ago, I uh, had a YPO forum retreat, and I brought in someone from the Deepak Chopra to do meditation. And, you know, it was eight guys, and they thought this was really a dumb idea. And then we all meditated. And when I got done meditating, I sort of chuckled, and I said, this is what it feels like when I get done playing guitar. That's awesome. Um, so I play guitar. Uh, I have one in my office, too. So when I get a little bit, like, too much of all this, I like to chill out and play for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. That's I awesome. That. Music is such a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but I think people have this misconception of meditation that you have to be sitting in a dark room with your legs crossed going, oh, you know, but it's really whatever you're doing where you're completely mindful and you're not thinking about anything else and you're concentrated on the one thing. So guitar playing or golf or woodworking or crafting or baking or whatever it is, but that could be your mindful meditation. So that's so cool. A man of many talents. All right, last question. What is the change you most hope to see from the growth in 2020? Well, uh, the biggest one is that COVID doesn't grow anymore. Yes. <laughs> yep. I you know, uh, 2020 is a weird year. I don't even know if it's a growth year for us. It is, though, in the sense, as an organization, we're having to adapt and make lots of changes and, you know, uh, when COVID came, we had Microsoft Teams in, uh, but I'd say, you know, 10% of our organization really probably used it. So when we left, I was like, you know, everybody, we need to have every meeting and run everything on Microsoft Teams. And that was sort of an edict from my seat. And it sounded like a big deal and it was so stupidly easy. But we just hadn't explored that. So I think, you know, as we grow through this year, the enabling, you know, virtual technology, it doesn't replace the in-person dynamics and the culture that you get from that. But it certainly at times makes communication a lot more seamless and easy. I think one of my favorite things, Sam, and I'm probably going to butcher this, so you'll have to help me. I think you say something to the effect of discovery begins at the end of your comfort zone. Life begins at Life the end begins of your comfort at zone. at the end of your comfort zone. And I really think that's what 2020 has really been about, pushing us out of our comfort zones, out of our boundaries, and really forcing us to understand like what's important and what we value. I definitely agree. I think what challenges you will change you. And this year has challenged all of us. So there are ways that we can change in, in a positive growth direction, for sure. I love it. Lisa, it's your turn, girl. Awesome. What is the best thing that has happened to you this year? Oh, gosh. The best thing that's happened to me this year is my one and only brother got married. Um, So that was really fun back in May. So obviously, that's in the middle of all this COVID stuff. So it was not quite the ceremony that they were anticipating, but it was 10 of us. It was so intimate and special and unique in its own way. Um, I really, I loved that time to be able to spend with my now sister-in-law. We had really intentional time together. And to see a brother, ha- my brother happy is all a sister could ask for. So, oh my gosh, so heartwarming. <laughs> I love it. Especially because if you don't know, Sam just got married. Guys, yeah, I so did. Oh, I was a pandemic her. bride. I don't recommend. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talk about mental health. There was a lot of coping, and you know, yes. a lot of being proactive about your mental health in situations of high stress, whether sure. that's something as you know seemingly basic as a wedding or bigger things you know it's really important yeah all right what is your go-to method or mechanism when you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious um so i feel like i've gone through different seasons of what coping looks like for me um but right now 
it looks like going outside and sitting in my lawn with my dog. Um, so it's actually the concept of grounding, which my mother-in-law told me about. And I love grounding because it's getting that physical contact with the earth. And it has to do with electrons and balancing you out. Some I don't know all the science behind it, but I do know that it works. And I do know that I feel better afterwards. So that's been a really good one for me. So you literally put your feet in the ground. Yeah, yes. barefoot. Yep, into the grass. Um, it's so interesting. I've been hearing this. Badhar Meinhof is this phenomenon of um, coincidence mm-hmm. where basically the more you like if you're like oh I really want an orange then all of a sudden you start to see oranges everywhere or if you're like oh look at that yellow car and then you see yellow cars everywhere so m- grounding for me has been that this coincidence wow. that of the phenomenon that I keep hearing about it and I think it might be the universe saying you grounding, grounding is meant to happen <laughs> yeah but it's this therapeutic technique that involves grounding yourself putting your feet into the grass with electrically reconnecting you to the earth and you're right it's charged with negative ions that actually neutralize your body there's a lot of science behind it so it's so cool that you you should say that yeah really interesting last question what is the change you most hope to see from the growth in 2020 I feel like there's a lot of changes like you said that um we ultimately want to see come out of this year and we're kind of in the middle of it right now so for me I feel like the biggest change that I hope to see is space for grace Um, I think there's a lot of things that uh, people can get impatient with each other and we can all get flustered about the things that we're going through or we can give space for grace. We can take a step back and realize that we're all going through different things and coming at this from different perspectives and different life experiences. So we need more space to just um, just give each other the grace that we need to make it through. I want to get merch made for this podcast. I have a <laughs> space for grace. I'll buy one. I'm always down for rhyming. <laughs> no, I love that. You guys have left me inspired. All right. So now that we're all inspired, uh, let's turn a little bit to our professional lives. So JB, can you give us and our listeners the one minute pinch of your history and how you came to work at Loth? Yeah. Um, honestly, when I was young, I sort of always dreamed of owning my own business and 19 let's see I was 29 years old back in 1990 and that's when I ended up buying Loth and Loth really it wasn't Loth it was Miami Business Interiors and they were a furniture dealer and the company was on the verge of being liquidated they had offices they closed their Cincinnati office and uh, had an office in Dayton and a warehouse. And I sort of came in and bought it. Um, it was really, a, um, you know, looking back, an amazing time because we had 39 employees at the time I purchased it. And four years later, we merged with Loth, and we had 50 employees, but we only had nine of the original 39. And we had three new lo- locations and a new business system. And so... It was really a dynamic uh, start. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, talk about grace under pressure where you're trying to figure out the business and then you're trying to grow the business. And then you're not only that, you're merging and dealing with all the personnel that goes along with it too. And at a young age. I know. So JB, can you tell us where Loth stands now today? So today um, we have locations in Cincinnati and Columbus where we represent Steelcase and many other manufacturers. We um, have a business that is based not only around furniture products, but the technology products, AV products that are integrated within the space. 
And uh, then we have a couple other companies that are not related to this industry, but part of our holding company. So cool. And um, most of those really came from being customer intimate with our customers way back then. And they just kind of evolved into these other uh, businesses. That's incredible. You've created an empire. (laughs) (laughs) No no need to be humble. We'll brag on you. (laughs) So, and then real quick, Lisa... Can you maybe just give us the one-minute elevator pitch of like your history and uh, a little bit of what you do at MA? So elevator pitch for what I do at MA. I am the interior designer down in Cincinnati um, at our site office down there. So I work pretty exclusively with the office down there, but I do maintain a great um, relationship with obviously the interior designers that are up here in Columbus. Um, So it's been really great um, growing in both my history and workplace design and learning a lot about the multifamily industry, um, the industrial industry. There's a lot of things that we've been um, kind of dipping our toes into. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I've been in the industry for uh, six years now, six, six and a half, uh, I think. So um, <laughs> It all blends together. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's me. I love it. All right, guys. Our topic for today's show is activating for emotional well-being. The cost of our mental health conditions is projected to rise to $6 trillion by 2030, making caring for people's mental health in and out of the workplace more important than ever. JB, can you tell us why this is a passion project of yours, and how do you define mental well-being? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, all of us are affected by not only our mental mental health, but our family members and friends. And, uh, you know, as you know, there's a lot of stigmatisms around uh, maybe having a mental health disease. And I think there's a lot of, you know, stereotypes and things that people don't really understand. And so, you know, the more we can all be open and learn about other people's triggers we all have we're all crazy in some shape or form about something sure. um, but it's how well you can manage that and, and if we can all help each other you know your point about being positive you know the power of positive mm-hmm. versus negative changes mental health right there on the spot mm-hmm. uh, for some people absolutely and so you know it it are not only my company but our family i'm aware of all the tragedies the things that happen to people and the fact that you know sometimes there's no answers and that's where you you really gotta you know you need help and it's not only mental help for for me it's faith right mm-hmm. you know because life is really about something more than all this and Mental health plays into that, and it challenges our, you know, our beliefs and realities. And I think that the it's awesome that, you know, we have great organizations today. We're, we're at Loth. Um, we're partnering with the Linder Center for start a conversation with our employees. It's something that we just happened to kick off when COVID happened, but we had been planning on this, so our timing was great and. It's amazing, you know, the letters or the emails that I get from my associates telling me things about their lives that, you know, um, they really, really appreciate this because, you know, you never really realize what other people's issues are and that their struggles and the fact that you're giving them an avenue 
to, you know, to get help or even be open-minded about that is a game changer, I think. It's indicative, too, of you as a leader. If people are feeling vulnerable and brave enough to come to you with these things and have those conversations, I think it, it speaks so highly of the culture you've created at your company. And I think that it's really an admirable thing for other leaders to really try to harness that power. You know, you have great power from the top down to say, it's okay, let's have these conversations. Let's support each other. You know, one of the values at MA is stronger together. And it's so true. I think that mental health is no different. And to your point, you don't know what people are dealing with at home. A lot of people think the workplace is not a place for mental health. It doesn't turn off like that. It's not a light switch. You know, it's something that you carry with you wherever you go. And I think a big goal for today's conversation is not expecting everyone to be perfect in the way that they speak about it, but learning how to talk about it, right? And so one thing for me a lot of people still say today is, I just want to kill myself, you know, or they put a a gun to their head, you know, with their fingers. And that's not okay. It's not okay to talk like that. It's not okay to say things like that anymore. You know, we really need to be serious about this. It's not a chic thing to take Xanax you know it's not like oh my kid's soccer you know so stressful I'm gonna pop a Xanax it's not funny because people who really deal with mental health it's a real thing it's debilitating it really has an impact on them and one of the things too in trying to educate ourselves more and more every day and be better every day is an easy thing to say right is instead of saying she's OCD or he's bipolar she has OCD he has bipolar. You know, it doesn't define who the person is. And I think that's where some of the stigma starts to shift is when you are not your mental health disorder. That is just something that you're dealing with and something that I hope you're working through and you are finding support for, you know. So I think that's a really big thing. And I just want to add in, you know, when you say bipolar, you know, everybody has a def- different definition or, you know, yeah. so that's what we're trying to do in our work with Start a Conversation and the work with the Linder Center is to kind of bring some of the more basic, realistic mental health issues in education to our associates. Oh, I love so that, that, you know, whether it's them or their parents or their child, yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't know, they told me I was dyslexic when I was a kid. And, um, but maybe I was just ADD or had yeah. some learning disabilities because yeah. there's the bottom line is all of that works against our confidence. And so, you know, if, if some of our educational systems were set up in a way that someone that learned like I did didn't have a chance to learn like other people did. Yeah. And so it's, there's no straight answer for everybody. And I know we lo- know a lot more about that today than, you know, 40 years ago. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, I love that, though. And I love the confidence factor, too. It's not something to hide. It's something to embrace. You know what I mean? And there are, to your point, through this evolution, so much more support and so much of a deeper understanding that people are, it's okay. You know, it's okay to to deal with these things and talk about these things and it's yeah. just awesome. And I would also just add it's not some it's easy to just kind of say like this is a label for something and to fall back on that but I I ultimately think like when there are diagnoses or things that um you're brought like your awareness is brought to it's to help you to to navigate it. It's not to put you in a certain bracket or say oh you can't have the same learning experiences as someone else, but it's it's to help you to say okay, this is something that might be what I'm dealing with. Let's figure out how to tackle this together. So from a leadership standpoint, yeah. I think that's amazing that you guys are doing that. Well, and, and, you know, just tracking your family tree, which most of us have never done. But, you know, I've seen mental health run through families. 
and yeah. um, and it's because it's hereditary. And if if you actually had that information and, and you could work, you know, you knew that earlier, maybe you, you could get more help. Preventative health, really. It's yeah. no different than if high blood pressure or cholesterol ran. You know what I mean? Then you would check for that. Or, or breast cancer, you would get a mammogram earlier. You know, so let's talk about it. Let's be normal about it. I think it's only as weird as you make it, you know, life in, in general. So very interesting. And Lisa, I'm so curious with your expertise in design and interior design, in what ways are you seeing a shift in the built environment already happening? And what changes in design do you think people could expect to see in the future for spaces that support mental health and well-being? I think that's a great question. And I feel like there's several different answers for this. Um, One of the first things that I initially think of is spatial awareness. so the idea of, or the study of proxemics um, is, has to do with how close you feel comfortable being next to people. So your intimate zone is obviously physical touch to a foot and a half, so really close to you. And that's a very small number of people in your personal life. Um, the ring out from that is personal. So that's your, your close bubble. And we talk about a personal bubble. You legitimately do have one, um, especially in the Western world. It's very apparent what your personal bubble is and having um, that, that sphere of people within a certain personal space is you reach a level of intimacy with those people. The thing that I'm curious about in the office environment is that next level, which is the social. So it's the four to 12 feet. We design our conference rooms around it. We design all sorts of different spaces to help with collaboration, to keep people within that sort of spatial um, distance from each other. Um, So if that's four to 12 feet, four to seven is usually where you're doing business with each other. we all know more readily the idea of six feet now. So that's really implanted into our heads. So six feet is something that is a number, but I feel like in theory, we don't really know what that is unless we have a physical sign to say, okay, stand here or stand there, and that's six feet. Mm -hmm. Um, So mentally, I think we're actually gonna start to feel like six feet is a lot further than it truly is. Um, So I think what that's gonna do is expand our personal bubbles and expand how comfortable we are being close to each other. Um, so that could be solved in a number of different ways in how we lay out conference spaces, collaboration areas. I think it's going to be a shift like we were talking about technology earlier. I think that's going to be a big shift um, that we're already seeing in the work from home environment. But I, I feel like that's going to follow us back to the office, too. Um, another thing that was happening pre-pandemic is privacy. So that's a big question that people always say, is the open office dead? And I I don't think so. I think that's such a silly thing to just jump to that conclusion and say, um, I think it's a gut reaction to say, okay, if it's not this, then it has to be this. Um, But I don't think going away from the open office is the right answer either. I think it's maintaining a level of privacy that people need for certain activities and giving people the choice and variety um, that's going to work best for them as a company. yeah, I think it. You know, when you think about it, uh, we were getting to a point where we were cramming people in with yeah, benching right. in that, and I could see that trend backing off. Mm-hmm. But you know, I definitely think that the office is. You know, it's where your culture is. You're re- you can't. It's hard to divert to develop virtual relationships. Absolutely. I don't know why, and so you know. As great as the virtual world works for us during COVID, it's I see it as a, you know a, a short-term solution. Also, it's something that'll be part of you know doing business forever. But so will be being together because uh, you know people eat together; they can work together. 
Absolutely. It's ingrained into our DNA. And Lisa, I couldn't have said it better. I think the idea of what we understand of our what our privacy is going to look like going forward is going to be uh, a really intriguing conversation, especially as we think about mental well-being, the neurodiverse, like what people are comfortable with, what the choices they need in order to feel like they have that control over their environment, too. I think that's going to be really intriguing going forward. So I'm so curious, JB and Lisa, you guys can answer, but so one of the most common triggers, which JB, you mentioned triggers earlier, it's such an important concept, I think, for people to understand where, depending on your life experiences and where your mental health, what you either had a situational or chronic mental health, so depression, let's take that as an example, and you lost a loved one, right? And so that's not, you just woke up on a Tuesday and you feel depressed and you don't know why. That's a chemical imbalance in your brain. A situational episode of depression could come from an event that triggered this onset of depression, right? So let's say you're your husband died and all of a sudden you see you hear your wedding song and you're at the the grocery store and you start bawling down crying that was a trigger maybe nobody around you knows that and they have no idea what's happening and hopefully they're saving space for grace but that was a trigger right so it's really important to understand triggers and that looks so different for different people depending on where they fall in the neurodiversity spectrum where they fall with their mental health disorders or just life in general at that moment what they're going through that said Curious about both of your opinions about the most common triggers for anxiety being overstimulating environments and a stressful work life. So if you pair the two together and you have an overstimulating work environment, what do we think about this? So what elements of design would you guys recommend to people to incorporate either in a personal setting or a professional setting at work that would set their space up for success as it pertains to mental well-being? Hmm. <laughs> I'll let Lisa go first. Uh, JB, you can bring it sure, home. Yeah. Um, I think for at home, um, just making sure that you're not settling for the environment that's just there already. It's creating a space that works for you, um, whether that means finding a room off in the upper floor of your house that's you can close a door and get some privacy from kids or family or pets or whatever it is that's causing distractions. Um, being proactive about that and not just plopping down at the kitchen table because it's there. Um, But I do think other things could help too, like um, getting plants or flowers. I have uh, not a green thumb, so I get flowers because I know that they're going to die and that's okay. (laughs) Managing expectations. (laughs) Managing expectations, exactly. So they're there for beauty and for bringing nature inside, which is great. Um, And also music, I feel like, is a really key thing for me. we actually play music in our office, so it feels familiar. It feels like, okay, I can get into my zone. This is what happens at my office. I'm used to hearing background music. So if I have it at home, it helps me to be a little more productive. Um, and that might not work for some people, and that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I think at, at the home, that's definitely something I would recommend. Um, and being okay when boundaries are broken. So, Yeah, and I, I would chime in. I, I have a uh, I have a stepson that was in D.C. and uh, he's been back since February, so you know it's like okay, and he's working from home, and and um, you know we all have to create space working from home, especially in the middle of COVID, and we learn a lot about the fact that if our chair is not ergonomic, our back hurts. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we have lots of solutions yeah. at Loth from you know work from home, but you know like you said. What happens when they work from home? They have the TV on or the music yeah, on. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're not working. You're watching TV. <laughs> it's just like the old days, you know, you're not studying. it, But, you know, we do multitask. Yeah. And, and I think uh, being able to have that more 
resumercial feel is definitely a more homey feel, and I think that's a trend that might continue. Oh, I love that. Mark, can you fill them in on resumercial? Well, we live in a very hybridic society, which means we like to take things and we like to mash them up together. You've probably heard of like shipping uh, people's names where you like put them together. So it's kind of the same thing with resumercial, where we take the residential world and the commercial world and we blend them together, bringing it into the office environment because it's more familiar to us, like JB was saying. It's much more something that we're comfortable with because we've experienced it day in and day out. Love and what it. I think is really interesting that you hit on is that multi-generational living, you know, and those paradigm shifts that we now have to live with in our uh, new work environment as we think about it, uh, you know, where we're trying to be respectful of everybody, respectful of boundaries, too. And I think um, one thing that I'd be curious about from, from both of you is that, you know, there's a lot of other um, reasons why we still need to have a physical office environment. Maybe it's getting away from your children who have come to live with you when you need to work from home. But one of the main reasons is that we keep talking about is, is that need for social connection. Um, you know, one of the value shifts that's happening right now is there's a loneliness syndrome out there that um, we need to try to combat. And we talk about um, combating that with um, the built environment and promoting togetherness um, by that built environment. So I'm just curious um, from, from both of you, how have you kind of been seeing this play out with your clients when they're trying to promote that togetherness together? Um, so actually one of the clients that we just wrapped up a project with, um, Links Unlimited, we were working with Terex Development and Construction down in Cincinnati. Um, one of their main spaces that they were really all about pre-pandemic in the design phase was a space that ended up being one of the most beneficial spaces at the end of the day once they moved in. Um, so now that they're all moved in, they love it. It's up at the front of their office where it's stadium seating. They've got like a coffee bar there if you need it. Um, and a place to meet with clients, a place to have collaboration, or to just hang out. I feel like that space itself, because it's bigger and can be utilized however the user sees fit, um, it's really great for them to have um, that opportunity for social connection and the opportunity to, to meet, too. So it's it's a multifunctional space. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Lisa, that, you know, people need to be together, yet different people have different perspectives on how safe they feel. So, you know, we're seeing more companies integrate, you know, Zoom capabilities um, along with live meetings so that some of us can be there and some of us can, you know, be remote. And that's that'll continue. But the idea that um, maybe individual work will maybe be done more remotely, but group work will continue. I think that's one of the big trends. And, and you know, if you're young, um, you need that mentorship. And, you know, and if you're seasoned, you also need that reverse mentorship. Yeah, that's that's so, open-mindedness. <laughs> or upskilling if you need that secondary skill set to deal with Zoom now. I try to listen to my boys who both work with me a lot. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes I, I take it and sometimes I don't. But we hopefully learn from each other. That's so awesome. I think I'm curious, too, as people start to reenter back into the office, I know we're coming back next week, and people have – are all across the spectrum as far as how they feel about that. We preach at MA the three C's, choice, comfort, and control, which, JB, you just hit on by saying some people are in the office for the meetings and some people are taking Zoom from wherever they are remotely. What do you guys anticipate being in, put into place in workplaces or workplaces could put into place to make people feel more comfortable as they start to reenter the workplace and fostering community in a way that feels safe but really feels successful as well? 
I think something actually that I did with uh, some of the girls down at the Loth office, so Hannah and Lindsay and I, um, we were trying to figure out how do we meet? How do we talk to each other in a face-to-face -face meeting that's gonna feel comfortable for all of us? We actually ended up just going on a walk. Um, so they met me at the front door of our office and we just walked around, or they, we met at the coffee shop and then walked around um, OTR over the Rhine in Cincinnati. And it was great because we got to see some of the new construction that's happening down there, like the FC Stadium. Um, and it was, it felt safe. It felt like, okay, this is familiar because we need to talk to each other. And it's hard to do that and schedule out meetings all the time. Um, but we ultimately ended up back at my office space. So it was not any more time than I would have spent in a virtual meeting or otherwise. So it was just, I feel like being able to have the opportunity to get outside um, or modify the meetings to work for you and your clients is, is really great. Yeah, I think that um, early on we were fogging, uh, you know, multiple times a week. We were, it's a learning process. We're all on a journey here and, you know, Unfortunately, is you know this probably won't be the last time we have to deal with this. So hopefully, we we can all be, you know, more educated. And I think part of that is you know, taking the safety precautions, you know, to to clean things down, to to you know, disinfect if that's what it is. Um, Buzzword I, of twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and having plenty of PPE, protective stuff, whatever we need, you know, I think that is, I think people have to make some of their own choices mm -hmm. and we have to, you know, understand that. I'm antsy as a business owner. I want to come in the office and I want to see everybody there and I want to find out what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I understand also that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people can't even, you know, who's going to watch my kids? Right. <laughs> there's know, a lot like, of variables. There's yeah. a lot of variables that are out of my control. Yeah. So, um, you know. Well, and I think, you know, we're talking about mental uh, well-being and mental health right now. Part of that is is transparency, right? Of just being comfortable enough to say, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I think that's where we need to um, allow people the strength to, to do that in this safe space in order to do that, too. It's very vulnerable, but I mean, to JB's earlier point, if he has employees that are emailing him saying, here are personal things that I'm working through, that's a culture that's going to be able to really, really embrace that and really create an environment where people can say, hey, I'm not comfortable taking my mask off. Oh, I am comfortable taking my mask off. And the variability is fine. You know, people can do, have that choice, comfort, and control, but you have to have the trust and the community built in. So I think for companies that maybe don't feel like their employees would feel safe to say those things, in an honest way, maybe that should be their first focus, is developing that trust and that communication and that community. Yeah, absolutely. It's about empowering your employees, which I think is Love ultimately that. what we're talking about here, um, which is key. And if your employee feels uncomfortable in one situation, if they feel empowered to talk about it and they feel heard, I, for me personally, I feel like we've done a fantastic job at MA doing that um, because I have been uncomfortable. But now that I'm realizing, okay, we're going to back to, we're eventually going to go back to the office. Um, I can mentally prepare in certain ways that will help me um, when I'm back in the office, like taking breaks and saying, okay, I'm going to push myself into this, but I'm going to take a break when I need to and just reset for a minute. Um, and I, that's good. 
when I think you're diving right into the kind of like our next question. So I love a good transition. Right, good segue. <laughs> if the first step is really about empowerment, I really think the next step is really about helping people build resiliency in their lives and being able to develop that in their own personal um, everyday. Something that we've been doing a lot of at MA is um, research in how spaces can actually build resiliency or respite in a person's day. We've developed a respite room that is using behavioral psychology that actually calms the central nervous system down. And I think I'm curious from, from again, Lisa and, and JB, you know, what types of programs or spaces do you think that we will see coming from this pandemic or even uh, just a normal understanding of mental well-being that could help with uh, resiliency or mental wellness? Yeah, I, I, I think the having more individual space that's private is definitely going to be a, a trend. And, and I think it's going to, like I said, we're also going to do more work, I think, virtually. And at the same time, I'm an advocate for everybody to get back in the office. But I think that you know, space, um, like we were talking before, having, you know, we have a room that we call it the family room, and we have a fireplace in the wall. You know, fireplaces, when it's cold out, like, change your mental well-being. It's Absolutely. cozy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, using some creative, you know, designer um, fabrics or even furniture and, and making it a yeah. little bit hip and cool, as I like to say. Um, <laughs> I love it. Resumercial. Yeah. 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 It draws you to it. Yeah. And I think the idea of destination is awesome because if you're trying to take a break and you don't want to take up a space, I'm going to do a shameless plug for our experiential design team because that is also an element that you can create engagement with employees, but also it feels like, okay, I don't necessarily want to go into a room right now, but if I want to just walk over here and look at our timeline or look at our company history, it gives me a place to kind of have a almost like a impromptu place of respite where I'm still engaged, I'm still um, taking a mental break, but I have like a balance that I can find um, my own path through the office too. I wanted to share also a recent learning about understanding mental health and it really, really resonated with me in such a a deep way and I think it really ties everything we've been talking about all together. It was saying that this snappy person might be experiencing sensory overload and that irritable person might be experiencing an anxiety attack. The smiley person might be masking depression and the oversharing person might be really lonely and isolated and the sensitive person might have experienced more trauma and pain than you could ever have imagined. And I think as soon as I read that, it really, to me, came full circle. You know, again, being curious, not critical about what people are going through, not knowing people's triggers like JB talked about before, not knowing what people are going through and just understanding there's so much more than what meets the eye. And so if we consider these truths, JB, I'm really curious as a CEO of a company in today's world, how do you create the culture that supports these individuals together? Well, you know, I'd like to think that I had all the answers. Um, and, you know, it's it's the team. It's all of us. And so, you know, together we spend a lot of time talking about what we want our culture to be. And, and, and then, you know, like this week we're having – law thank you week and we've got all kinds of different uh, events going on and cool. we we're going to do some z- video zoom meetings but culturally we we're trying to do things to engage people not only fun things but like i mentioned we're also engaging with start a conversation we're also 
doing um, different health. We bring in health um, experts to help us with, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Everything you need. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> you know. But, you know, um, and being there. I think, you know, just letting your associates, um, all, everybody has to talk this out together, mm-hmm. I think. And so by being able to, you know, just have those impromptu conversations or or intentionally talk about our culture. We, we talk about our culture from the standpoint of our vision of what we want to continue to become. And so our culture is an evolution. And, you know, I want not only my boys to be part of it, but other leaders in our company, I want everybody to be part of, to have a say so that we have a well-balanced culture. I love that. I know I said the quote earlier, but you really brought it to life. If we share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. Brene Brown said it, and that's what you do. You listen to people. You make them feel seen and heard and understood and accepted. And I think that's why you're as successful as a leader with such an open culture of communication as you are. It's so interesting. And if you consider one in four Americans will deal with a mental health issue, it's not something that the odds are so great that it's not something that will touch us in our lifetime. I mean, we're sitting in a room right now of six people, all socially distanced, and, you know, what, that there's someone in here, possibly two people, you know. Um, and I think that if we're really being brave, we could all say we've had our own experiences. You know, it's something that is going to impact everyone we know around us in some capacity. Well, and I also loved, you know, it kind of goes along with one of our core values. You talked about the team. And so one of our core values is really stronger together. Um, and, you know, this is from the conversation alone that we can use to shift towards being better to support mental health. Um, I know one of the things that I really appreciate about Loth is they're always sending us the research information from Steelcase, uh, which is one of your major um, partners. And um, I recently read from Steelcase that um, they had put out some research that employee engagement um, can actually be linked to creating joy within the employee and that, you know, employees who are more joyful are actually 12% more productive. And so I'm, I'm just curious, JB, um, you know, what are some of the other things that we might be able to normalize around mental well-being that might actually help boost workplace productivity or engagement? From, you know, from, um, from a shareholder or a CEO, there's, you know, there's obviously the balance of productivity. So we're always, you know, that's the fear is if you're not there, then what are you doing? Or, and then, you know, why do you need this day off? You were off last week or whatever it might be. So we all have to, um, you know, adjust and monitor that. But the reality is, I think, Sam, you mentioned that you're newly married and, you know, new family. I mean, things will happen. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but, you know, yeah. life, um, why it's exciting, I always say, you know, it's really scary for the people that live to be 100 years old. <laughs> Think about oh, what they have to endure mentally. They yeah. probably have to bury their siblings, their children, you know, yeah. all kinds of things that none of us are really thinking that we, you know, this is what our life's about is those things that we have to deal with that come along. So I think we're all on that journey. And, you know, when you work together and you can – build a culture where people trust each other. I think, you know, work and life becomes more, you know, cohesive. And I would also say that I think 
the balance of life and, or work and, and life, you know, we have a lot of things such as, okay, every morning, everybody has to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning, yet young moms are trying to get their kids to school, and, you know, and they're probably both working. So now mom and dads are arguing about who's got what meetings more important. It's kind of crazy yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. So if you do, as an organization, have the ability, have a little bit of flexibility so that people can get their day started right, I mean, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's something that we, you know, I lived through in my own life, so I tried to change that with my own, you know, our own leaders. I, that's a stupid idea to have an 8 o'clock meeting. Do you realize that half of those parents are going to be stressed out? So, um Anyway, I, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm trying. I think no, that's I think a that's great, great thing to, to normalize is flexibility and being able to be adaptable to every different type of schedule that people have. So it's something that I think that we're working towards. And it's, it's a hard thing to get out of, especially when you're coming from a generational um, standpoint of people that did function in the 8 to 5, 9 to 5 mentality so it's a hard thing to get out of for sure and look at you know is is it going to be like have we swung too far with COVID like look at all of the real estate and vacations lakes and properties like that you can't hardly buy a place right now and the country clubs have been jam-packed with golfers through COVID, there are more new golfers than I think ever in the history of golf. Um, imagine. And, um, and so people are out and about in some cases. Um, and they're, you know, kids are living in homes and people are staying at their second homes. Uh, it's a different time for everybody. And, uh, and there'll probably be some kind of balance as we come back Absolutely. through this on the other side. Definitely an equilibrium. We said earlier, you know, I think that pendulum really swung. And I think a lot of people reacted to that big swing instead of pausing to respond to when we find this equilibrium, which is where we hopefully seemingly are starting to embrace now. I think it's really interesting when we talk about normalizing when you were saying, you know, I had just gotten married and, you know, things are life isn't going to be an Instagram worthy moment at all times. And I think that is something we could do too, is talk about, have a real conversation like that, you know, and to be a hundred, that's going to require a lot of resiliency. And that's going to require a lot of being able to pick yourself back up after going through something difficult. You know, you can't live a hundred years, but that's life, right? And that that's a realistic thing. And to say parents have meetings in the morning, that's not fair for us to put more stress and more pressure. Let's eliminate as much stress and pressure. That's having a normal conversation about real life. And that's being honest. So it's really interesting. My acupuncturist last week said self-care is like hydration. If you're thirsty, it's too late. And if you feel like, oh, I need self-care, you're, you're behind times. Like you, you needed to be much more proactive about that. So I think even just saying, you know what, don't get to burnout. Don't let yourself get to a 10 wait until you're at a two or a three, do something for yourself, you know, support yourself, your mental health, your emotional well-being. So then you can continue because it's not ever going to just be breezing through life, you know, especially if you're really living in the arena, if you're living this authentic life where you are actually actively engaged and taking risks and chances and doing brave things, but you just have to keep having that respite. So I think normalizing normal is important too, and not just saying everything was great, you know, or life is so great. You know, it is all those things. And it's also can also be challenging and scary and 
fear inducing or, you know, anxiety inducing. And that's okay. You know, I do think, um, I would, I, you touched on this earlier, Sam, and I think it's worth repeating. Um, I actually heard it in a sermon recently too, by one of my favorite people, Wendy Backlund, her and her Steve, her and her husband, Steve have um, a ministry called igniting hope. Um, and one of the things that she says is honor the season that you're in, but don't let it define you. And you kind of mentioned that earlier. And it's, it's something that really sticks with me because if you honor the season that you're in, you ultimately are um, owning the thing that you're, the feelings that you're feeling, owning the things that are happening to you, but you're not letting it define who you are. Sure, it will build your character. It'll help you work through things as you continue through life, but it's not that, that moment isn't defining for you. So just honor whatever season you're in. Love that. Yeah, I think uh, we all usually fall in the trap of categorizing people really easily. Mm-hmm. And I think if we really want to think about how we can be more innovative with our lives, we should really try to break some of those categories out and think about how they can be a little bit more um, embracing than siloing. And speaking of innovation ahead, we're coming up on our last question. So I think what I would just love to hear from you guys is, you know, uh, what are the signals and drivers that you've seen um, that could influence down, us down the road? You know, as a futurist, I always want to think about what's five, ten years down ahead. But what are the really kind of like key observations that you're seeing that could have effect on mental well-being even ten years from now? And so, JB, we'll start with you. Yeah, I... You know, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm on the Hamilton County Addiction Rehabilitation Coalition, which started out as the Hamilton County Opioid, Heroin Opioid uh, Steering Committee. And it's uh, headed by our president, Denise Driehaus. And um, I learned so much. You know, when I got involved, it was really uh, because... I had to take opioids for knee replacement 10 years ago. I didn't know anything about this opioid addiction until I was like off of them. And the next thing you know, I'm like hearing these reports of everybody dying. And, yeah. and then I had some friends, I've known people that have uh, become addicted and died. Uh, and yet I've never seen heroin. Yeah. But our own ignorance and stereotypes, you know, people were saying, oh, well, you know, marijuana leads to heroin. And I was like, wow, this is not <laughs> 1970. It's prescription medicines that people are getting addicted to. Anyway, my point is, so I, I ended up on this commission um, as part of the Cincinnati Business Committee. And uh, Bobby Castellini and I both represent the business community. And um, it's really a great organization because when you think about what happens, there's a cycle of people that end up with these issues, and we're not really getting them help. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it's just a cycle. And it, whether they're coming in and out of jail or coming in and out of the hospital or whatever, uh, as a society, we've got to do a better job of really addressing some of the the issues that these people have because in many cases you know they're young people they're smart people but um and, and there's a great organization in cincinnati called nehemiah that is um working with um you know second chance um, um workers and so to the extent that we can all become more educated um, on how we can 
give these people a second chance. Um, I think we'll be better community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we couldn't find people a year ago, and we're losing. We were losing more people to you know ODs. It's really fentanyl now than mm-hmm. we were COVID at one point, and so it's you know that that's an issue that you know is a difficult one but it it doesn't only involve mental health it involves you know our judicial system um you know everybody the religious you know group we we have a full coalition of leaders throughout the community that are involved and it's um it's something that i'm optimistic that in the future we won't be talking about it like we have been in the past I hope so. I mean, I definitely think that that's something that we can be looking forward to and thinking about how we can change today for tomorrow. Absolutely. No one chooses that life. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, to your point, so systemic. But, you know, bravo to you for doing the work. I think that's a huge part of it. So, Lisa, how about you? What are you seeing right now that you think could have an impact on us down the road? Um, Well, I think that what we're dealing with right now is, like you're talking about education, um, things that we're not really familiar with. We're learning as we go, taking it day by day. Um, So I think being able to celebrate progress and not perfection is something that we really need to just grab onto because if we have progress, that's great. That needs to be something that we celebrate. Perfection is never gonna be reached and that's okay also. Um, So I think that's something that I foresee latching on for years to come. Um, And then other things that I just jotted these down real quickly. Um, We've talked about this earlier in the year too about choiceful positivity. And that's something that I'm super passionate about. And I love the idea of choosing positivity and not just letting circumstances define what's happening and the way that you feel and react to it. But you're choosing um, to say, okay, this was a really hard situation. This is really hard for me, for other people around me. I don't know how to get through it, but I see this as one little point of progress and I'm gonna choose to be positive about that. Um, And it's not to ignore the situation that you're in either. I think it's, it's being just holistically aware and choosing the path forward that's gonna be best for everyone. Um, and then the other one was proactive community. And um, what I mean by that is we all have community virtually and physically, but I think when we're going back to the office, it's being proactive and saying, okay, you know what? I might be a little uncomfortable with this certain situation, but I'm gonna be proactive about it. I'm gonna go and hang out with a coworker or solve a problem with um, my team in this certain scenario that I know we need to work through. Um, I'm going to be proactive about it, and we're going to get through it as a team. Proactivity and positivity leading to better systems down the road. (laughs) Well, everybody, that's our show. Thank you for being here, JB, and thank you, Lisa, for joining us as well, too. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We really appreciate you guys sharing your innovative insights. These are the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives and be thinking about how they can create change. We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at www.ma-architects.com, where we have an entire COVID toolbox up and running that covers the wide variety of sectors we serve. And if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you liked what you heard today, please, please, please make sure you subscribe and leave us a review for our podcast so you can also be the first to hear what's coming in terms of innovations and trends from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And for the first time ever, I'm Sam Moeller. <laughs> what? Wow. And I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. 
Thanks, everybody. Have a great day and make it innovative. Thanks, guys. <laughs>